This is Impact with Don Wenner. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Impact with Don Wenner. I'm the producer of the show, Kyle, and I'm so happy to have you here with us today. We have an amazing author and public speaker on the show today. His name is Paul Smith, and Paul is one of the world's leading experts on organizational storytelling. He's a storytelling coach and author of three Amazon number one bestsellers, Lead with a Story, which is now in its 11th printing and published in seven languages around the world, Sell with a Story, and one of his absolute best books, we love it here at DLP Capital, is The 10 Stories Great Leaders Tell. So Paul, he's also a keynote speaker, and he's going to be at the DLP Elite Mastermind event this March 2022 in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. And if you want to learn more about that event or buy tickets, you can go to dlpcapital.com slash elite march. That's dlpcapital.com slash elite march. Or even easier, just go down here in the description and click the link. Still tickets available. We would love for you to come out and really learn from some of the best minds in real estate in America. So in this episode, there's going to be three key takeaways that we want to leave you with. Number one being we review his amazing books and dissect what great storytelling is and how leaders can utilize it. The second thing that we really dive into is we talk about parenting, uh, parenting uh, even more so parenting with a story and how storytelling can positively influence how we raise our children. And then the third is how you, how our listeners can use storytelling to make an impact in the world. So without further ado, let's jump over to Don's conversation with Paul Smith. All right. Welcome, Paul, uh, to Impact. So excited to have you on our podcast today. Yeah, I am too. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. So as you, as you guys just heard, Paul is, in my opinion, and I've read, I don't, I don't know how many, I'm far from the expert in storytelling as Paul is, but I've read probably 20 different books on storytelling. And um, it's, it's an area I'm still striving to, to, to every day get better on. But I consider Paul to be the authority on storytelling and uh, so excited to be able to have him as a guest here today uh, and have him coming to join us here at our event in a few weeks in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida, um, as our uh, keynote speaker. So uh, can't can't wait for that. Um, so speaking of that, Paul, why don't you kick off right with that? Tell us a little bit about what what can what can we expect for those who are going to be there and get to meet you live uh, in a few weeks, what can we expect, uh, uh, from our your keynote? And then you're gonna be doing a little bit of a workshop the next day. So I'd love to, love to get a little bit of a tease of what, what we're to expect there. Yeah. So we'll, I mean, we'll start out with just what storytelling is, which may sound obvious, but it, it turns out it's not because, you know, some people think, oh, telling a great story, that means a great sales pitch, or that means a great speech or a great memo or something. And it, it it's not, I mean, great stories are usually part of those things, but they're not the same thing. I mean, there's storytelling has a specific set of attributes. You know, there's a time and a place and a main character, et cetera. So I'll, I'll cover real quickly some of the attributes of what a story is. Um, and then we'll get into why it works so well. You know, uh, what are the, the kind of the psychology behind why storytelling is such an effective vehicle to communicate and influence people better. Um, and then we'll talk about uh, when, when should you be telling stories and maybe when not, because it's, it's not all the time, right? I'm not going to suggest people walk around all day long telling stories. That would just be weird, <laughs> you know, but, um, and I'll, I'll specifically talk about very specific types of stories that are effective in, in the business world, leadership stories and sales and marketing stories. 
but we'll probably spend most of our time on how, how, how do you do that? You know, what's the structure of a well-told story? Uh, how do you create the right emotional engagement? You know, there's, there are techniques to do that. How do you create a surprise ending? I mean, stories, you know, great stories have a great surprise ending. Well, it's true in your, your business stories as well. And so there are specific techniques you can use to create that. So we'll, we'll go through the, those how-to components. And then, you know, for the, for the workshop, we'll hopefully, uh, you know, have some people actually bring in some stories and be able to actually apply those techniques that we talked about the night before, you know, you put those to work in some real uh, stories that some of your, your members and, and guests and visitors bring in. Awesome. I have so many, so many questions for you, but I'm going to, I'm going to wait on the specific question. So for, for everybody who doesn't, who doesn't uh, know, uh, so Paul, uh, which book was first? Was it sell with the story, lead with the story? What was the first one? Yeah, lead with the story was the first one. So I started with leadership, uh, storytelling for leadership purposes. Uh, parenting with a story was second. The one I think you just said, told me earlier, you just ordered. <laughs> um, and sell with the story was the third one. Awesome. So, so we read, uh, I read uh, first lead with a story. Uh, a number of years back, uh, loved it. And we actually made it our book of the month for our internal uh, DLP Driven for Greatness group. So at the time, I think that was about 100 of our, our team members. And we all read uh, Lead with a Story. And then uh, read, I know then the second one I read, I didn't know if it was the order I read was Sell with a Story. And our sales teams have read uh, Sell with a Story a few, few uh, years ago. I only today realized I had not read Parenting with a Story, which I'm quite disappointed on is uh, that I that I've missed that one so I downloaded it today and I'm gonna ask you a little bit about it uh, for my own interest and, and, and I think I know we've got a lot of a lot of parents of course uh, listening in so I, I, I always think of storytelling from leadership standpoint and a sales standpoint I don't think as many of us probably think about it from a, the importance of it from a parenting standpoint which is maybe the most impactful place especially that I think about it with young kids um, and then I know your most recent book which I think maybe your best book yet, uh, 10 stories great leaders tell just just came out what a couple months ago now it was actually a year a year or so okay um, I've read it a couple times easy read but it's just such a, such an easy a great job for those in leadership seats running companies leading to, to kind of break down the types of stories so, so let's maybe start there tell us a little bit about the most recent book uh, 10 stories great leaders tell and and um, give us a little bit of uh, color to for those mm -hmm. who haven't read uh, that great book yet yeah. So, so like I said, it was, it was after having written all those other three books. So if you remember from lead with a story, I, I think there were, I covered 21 or so different leadership challenges where storytelling can help, you know, whether that's setting a vision or leading change or, you know, uh, uh, in all the different kinds of challenges leaders would, would go through. There's 21 of them laid out in the book and a handful of stories in each one to help you navigate that challenge. Um, the parenting of the story, which you haven't read yet, but I think there's, uh, 101 different stories in there, um, and they're they're all around character development for kids. So you know everybody wants their kids to you know have integrity and be a hard worker and be kind and fair and patient and you know think of all the character traits you want your kids to have. There's a collection of stories for each of those in the book to help teach your kids those lessons. And then you know we get to sell with a story, and there are 25 specific types of sales stories in there. You know for salespeople, and so. After having written those three, if you add those up, I think there's 70 different types of stories that I've kind of trafficked in and taught people to tell. And I, I just, I started getting feedback from people. It's like, you know what? Uh, I've not, I've not read any of your books and that just overwhelms me. That's just like too many stories for me to even think about like, where should I start? And so that was the idea behind that, the 10 stories great leaders tell us. If you had to pick 10 stories, 
what what would they be? And so I, uh, if you want, I, I won't tease your group, but you want to just uh, you want me to tell them what they are, and um, they can decide what they want to do with that. Yeah, please. Yeah. So here, here's the list of 10. And by the way, I, I came up with this after looking back at, you know, all of my clients over the last decade and you know the, the leaders, the executives who've hired me to help coach them in storytelling. What were the stories they were asking me for the most help in, you know? Uh, so that was kind of my guidepost for how did I pick these 10? Because they're all important, but these these seem to be the ones that, that uh, senior leaders really want the most help with. So the first four go together because they're about um, setting direction for the organization. So that's where we came from. So that's, that's a founding story where we are, um, why we can't stay there. So that's a case for change story where we're going, which is a vision story, obviously. And then how we're going to get there, which is a strategy story, a story about how you're going to get from where you are now to where you want to be. So if you think about, you know, those four stories, if you're, if you can tell those four stories, you're going to have a much better chance of getting the organization to go where you want them to go. So the next four, they go together as well, but they're, um, they're a little bit more about you personally, the, the, the team, the company, the organization. So uh, that's what we believe. So that's a, a, a corporate value story. Who we serve. So that's a, that's a classical sales story. Um, a, 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 well, well, a story about the person you're serving, really. So it's a story about to, to help the rest of the people in your organization get a real human, visceral understanding of who the ultimate boss is, the customer you're serving. The next one would be a classical sales story. So it's what we do for those customers. That's a sales story, a story about what you do that's so awesome, people should pay you money to do it. And then the eighth one is uh, how we're different from our competitors. And that, that's actually one of my favorite uh, kinds of stories ever and one of the most useful because it's a story that differentiates you from your competition. Um, and I call that a marketing story because it's generally the marketing department's job to do that. But every, every, I think every leader needs to be able to do that. And the last two are just more personal to you, the leader. So it's um, uh, why I lead the way I do. So that's a personal leadership philosophy story. And then the last one is uh, why you should want to work here. I mean, not, not you, but you, whoever you're talking to, right? So that's a recruiting story because every leader's job is finding talented people and getting them to encouraging them to come join the organization. So um, not that all the other stories aren't important, but if I had to pick a, you know, 10 stories, that would be a great place for any leader to start with. I think those are the ones I'd start with. And that, that's what the, that's what the book is about. It's just uh, all 10 of those, one example of each one and a few tips to help you craft your own. I love it. So um, we just did about two weeks ago, and anybody listening and, and who'd, who'd like to see it, um, uh, we can gladly uh, uh, send it out to you. You can uh, you know, ping us on wherever you're, you're watching this or reach out to us in any way. We'd love to send it out to you. We do our annual, we call our vision day every every year, and it's a full day event at DLP. Um, and then we have a recording of it that you know, we share out with all of our investors. We actually invite our investors and, and everybody in kind of our spirit to come join us for it uh, as well. It actually becomes our recruiting, our number one recruiting tool. But it's funny when I kicked off and I, I didn't realize that you just described your, your 10 questions. What I say when I start off Vision Day, I, I say what we're going to talk about here today is where we came from, where we're going uh, and how we're going to get there. And never thought of it as the strategy statement, the founding story and the the vision story we call the day uh, vision day, and that's um, pretty pretty cool. And Kyle, who's in the in the background right now, who runs this uh, podcast, he's in process right now of literally cutting, uh, recording, creating five or six different, um, uh, basically five or six of these stories into specific videos 
um, for the various teams use the he's doing the uh, you know why you should work here video he's doing the you know what we do differently than our competitors um, uh, story um, for, for a number of our different business lines so it's so cool and I actually told him when he sent me the scripts few days ago so we got to get Paul to help us craft and finalize these before we we finalize these these videos um, uh, up here so that's just so awesome it's just such a simple way right I mean we all are telling these stories um, or, or in some way, shape or form, or need to tell these stories. Um, but I don't know if anybody's taken it, taken and simplified it down to this 10 set of stories that as I think through all the stories I tell and all the interactions I do, they all fall into one of those 10 buckets in one way, shape or form, um, which I had never thought of it, uh, thought of it that way. So that's, that's uh, pretty awesome. So, you know, so question for you, you know, I, I, you know, even though I've read a lot of books on storytelling, I have so, so much to learn. And I, think I may fall into the trap of uh, that others do, which is I've, I've think of, I've often think, all right, I'm giving up a, a big presentation. I do as some of the, our, um, our audience here knows I do these big you know dinner events and you know, webinar events where I'll do an hour, you know, keynote type presentation. And I try to think of, Hey, I'm going to bake some stories into my presentation, right? I'm going to have a story to tell as a part of the presentation. I don't know which book or where her you say, it, but you said, that's it's kind of the wrong way to think about it. You want to instead replace the standard presentation with a story instead of adding a story, say, to the pitch or to the presentation. So, um, so I just love you know, tell you know, why do you think uh, uh, you know storytelling is not used that often? Because I really still it's still very seldom used by you know most salespeople or leaders seldom use the the, the tool, the way of, of teaching, um, of presenting, of storytelling. And what are the most common sort of misconceptions or or challenges with people uh, using stories to to improve, uh, you know, their business, their leadership, their their sales, et cetera. Yeah, well, so let me well let me start by responding to what I think I just I just heard you say, um, and I may have heard you wrong, but it sounded like you said, you know, there's a dis- a difference between using storytelling th- throughout. You know, you've got a presentation, you got a half hour, you got an hour, whatever. Instead of using stories, you know, throughout that, replacing your presentation with a story. And that, that's not exactly the way I w- would advise people because when you do that, you're, you're just telling story, you're telling a story for an hour or one, an hour long story or an hour's worth of stories. And I, I think that's probably not the best way to, to spend an hour in front of a group of people or in front of your peers. I, I recommend about 10 to 15% of the time. So if you had an, a one hour presentation, I would suggest 10 to 15% of that hour, which would be six to nine minutes, you should spend telling a story, which means the other 85 to 90% of the time, you're not telling a story. You're just talking to people. You're just, you're going through your talking points, your slides, your, whatever your message is, but 10 to 15% of that time, uh, if you tell a story and these stories are only two or three minutes long. So out of a one hour presentation, you might tell two or three three-minute stories during that hour. And that's all you need. You know, all the, the, all the studies show, you know, you go to these conferences and you have all these speakers, you know, one after the other. And then you ask people a week later, what do you remember most from speaker number seven? And I'll say, oh, that story that she told about the whatever, whatever, you know. So that six to nine minutes out of the hour that they're telling stories um, is what people are going to remember the most. But if all you did the entire hour is tell stories, I don't, I'm not sure what they would remember, <laughs> but, but if, if, if you keep it to 10 to 15%, it will be the most impactful part of your hour. Now, if you don't do tell stories at all, 
again, I don't know what they're going to remember. They're not going to remember everything you said. In fact, they might not remember anything that you said. But if you spend 10 to 15% of your time telling a story, that's what they're going to remember. And if you spend a, almost all your time telling stories, then you're back to, I don't know what they're going to remember. So I think there's a sweet spot, but it's at the low end. It's not 50%. It's not 80%. It's down near the bottom, I, I think. So does, does that, does that, yeah, that feel right to you? I think those were some some excellent excellent nuggets. So so with that said, so we're talking about if you're if you're given a a thirty minute or an hour presentation, whether it be you know some keynote speech, which probably not everybody listening is in the business of providing keynote speeches, but if you were talking to a team of a team of people in your company or talking to your kids or have in whatever which way giving a, a presentation or a conversation or talk, we're talking just a few minutes and the difference that can make and in, in being something memorable. Why aren't why isn't this normal? Why aren't why doesn't everybody incorporate stories into their into their teaching, their lessons, their conversations? Yeah, so I, I think uh, storytelling is the kind of thing that um, I mean. First of all, every kid knows how to tell a story. It's like every child is an artist, and then we beat that out of them in their you know teenage years or whatever that you know convince them that they can't do it. And um, so by the time we're grownups, we 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 can't paint and we can't sing and we can't, we can't tell stories anymore. But when we were five years old, we would, you know, we'd belt out our favorite song while doing finger paints, you know, and it would be awesome. Um, I, I think the professionalization of business, which happened about a hundred years ago, you know, 300 years ago, there was no such thing as business schools, right? You know, um, you know, I, I did mine right there, you know, near where you're living, right? Those things didn't exist hundreds of years ago, but once we became business became a professional enterprise, it became more analytical and there's certainly some, a lot of good that has come from that. But I think we kind of coached leaders, business leaders that to be a great business leader, you've got to be all this, this very analytical. Whereas, you know, my grandfather and your grandfather and, you know, the way they ran their businesses is they, you know, they would, they'd run their business and they tell, they tell stories They tell stories about how they started the business and how they, they were successful and what they did and how they did the job when they were doing it by themselves so that you can now learn to do the job yourself. And we kind of talked people out of that. And I think storytelling is just kind of reawakening and people were realizing, you know what, that was a pretty good way to lead. I think I want to go back to that. That's interesting. You know what, what and that makes excellent sense. You know, I, so I've been preaching a lot of late per se in, in my organization and, and to, to a lot of our, uh, members of our, our lead membership, you know, the concept of, I heard this great quote that said, you know, most people have the will to win. Very few people have the will to prepare to win. Hmm. And uh, kind of that, that kind of tying into this, that makes me think of that, the, the quote, if I had had more time, I would have wrote a shorter letter. And, and I often think of uh, storytelling that way, that it's so easy for leaders to, to get up there and, and just spew tons of facts and details and information and so forth um, to a group of people and feel that they're, you know, sharing so much and giving so much value or information, right? It's much harder to say, all right, it's like when, you know, if I have 30 minutes to give a presentation, that's much easier than when I'm, I'm going into a format where they say, hey, you got six minutes mm -hmm. to deliver this presentation, right? I'm doing a, a presentation contest actually at a big event a couple of weeks and it's, it's, you can only have 10 slides in 10 minutes. Right. And it's like that's much harder to do um, than it is to have an hour. So do you think it's that people just don't slow down enough to think and create these stories or 
remember them or craft them in a refinable way that 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 they can actually tell them and, and make sense of them? Is, is it a is it a lack of, of willing to kind of do the hard work of preparing a, a story? You think also that that uh, people are challenged with with? Yeah, I, I think that's part of it, but I think it starts earlier than that. I think yeah. most most business leaders don't even realize that storytelling is a skill that they can learn and that there's a good and a bad way to do it. I think a lot of people naturally think of storytelling as just like an like an art. And it is. Storytelling is an art form. It's not a science. But people think of it like, uh, oh, well, I'm just not a natural born storyteller. So I guess I'm just never going to be good at it. So I'm not going to do it. Whereas it, it is like art forms, but like every art form, you can learn it. So like I'm not a natural born musician. Like I, I can't sing. I, you know, I, I actually don't play any musical instruments. But Don, I'll bet if I wanted to learn to play the guitar, I bet I could. But sure. what would I? What would I do? I just go buy a car and put it my uh, a guitar and put it by my bed and hope that by osmosis, I would become a guitar player. No, I would go take guitar lessons, right, from somebody who knew how to play the guitar. And within about six months, I'd probably be able to strum out a few songs. Now, I'll probably never, you know, fill up Carnegie Hall with people wanting to listen to me play music because I'm not naturally gifted at it. But I could learn to do it decently, just like you could or anybody else could. And storytelling is no different. Um, yes, some people are naturally gifted and some people are not. But if you're not, read a book, watch some YouTube videos, take a class, you know, learn, learn how. And you can. So that's the first mistake is they don't even realize that they can learn it. And then if they if they did realize that, then then maybe, yeah, well, I don't know how. I don't know how to go about learning it. Well, you know, that's why people write books and teach classes, right? I love it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna dig in a little bit to to specific area of, of storytelling because uh, I'm most interested in it. But I also think uh, it's an area probably has the highest percentage of of people listening will be able to relate to, which is your topic of parenting with a story. So most of us are parents, and um, and of course we have people listening with young kids like me. I have four months old, eight and nine years old, and we have people with grown grown children in their 30s, 40s, 50s here listening as well. So talk to you a little bit about your book, Parenting with a Story. You know, where is using storytelling most applicable? Is it with young children? Um, uh, and just give us some insights on how to how to best some, some tips for, for uh, best use uh, storytelling in our jobs as, as parents. Yeah. So uh, I think we all know instinctively that a better way to teach kids uh they're just telling kids what to do and think is just not the most effective way. Like you can't just tell them, Oh, you should be, you know, have integrity and you should be fair and kind and patient and work hard. And like, you can't just tell them to do that. It doesn't work. You know, mostly they got to learn their own lessons, but <clears throat> what you can do is let them learn from your lessons, from the hard won life lessons that you've learned by telling them a story about, you know, yourself when something happened to you and you learned that lesson. And that way they can learn without having to make the same mistakes you did. Now, the problem is <clears throat> most of us only have two or three really great stories like that from our growing up where we really screwed up big time and learned a really hard life lesson. We don't have hundreds of those stories. We have a handful. So that book is like, wouldn't it be great if I could interview 100 people and have 100 great stories instead of just, you know, one or two. So that was the idea. So I interviewed people all over the world to find some interesting stories about all of those character traits I mentioned earlier that we typically want our kids to have. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, and this, and this is actually one from my life, from my, my dad. So um, when I was 
probably 17 years old, uh, I, I got a job working at the same company as my dad. You know, he, he, you know, got me a job working at literally as a file clerk in the personnel office. Okay. Literally, you know, back in the days when there was paper files. Right. Um, anyway, I was so excited when I found out that there was this thing called secretary's day every year. It's probably called administrative professionals day now, but, uh, and, uh, and I was excited because I was a secretary, I was a secretarial level, you know, file clerk. And that meant on that day, my boss had to take me out and buy me lunch. So I was all excited about that. Right. And all of us secretaries were getting taken out to lunch that day by our bosses. And they rented out this one local restaurant where, so everybody at this company went to the same place. And my dad's sitting at the same table I am with his secretary. And I'm there with my boss, who is a woman. Um, and anyway, we're having, we're starting to have lunch and the, the waitress comes out and she says, well, we have two items on the menu today. One is a quiche Lorraine and one is a club sandwich. And Don, you're maybe not old enough to remember this, but this is back in the early 1980s, right after this book, really famous book came out called Real Men Don't Eat Quiche. I don't know if you heard about that. <laughs> I but have not. Anyway, it's, it was a book about the, the feminization of the American male. So it was making fun of the Alan Alda type people who are just not masculine anymore. And anyway, so after that book came out, no self-respecting male would eat quiche because you would just <laughs> brand yourself as less than masculine. So of course, I very quickly ordered the club sandwich, you know, and so did all the other men at the table, except my dad. My dad said, huh, I've never had a quiche before. How about you bring me half a quiche and half a club sandwich? That way, you know, if I don't like the quiche, I, I got the club sandwich. Well, the abuse started immediately. Like all the men at the table started trash talking my dad right to his face, right in front of me, insulting his masculinity in graphical terms I'd never even heard in my life at that, that point. So, you know, I, and of course I am just mortified and I'm sinking down lower and lower into my chair out of embarrassment for my dad. And, um, anyway, about three or four minutes into this abuse and he'd finally, he'd had enough and he called the waitress back over and I'm like, I'm thinking, Oh, thank God. You know, let's just, let's get, get over this, you know, get past this. Anyway, the waitress comes over and he said, Hey, I'm sorry. I, I, I got to change my order. I'm the guy that ordered the half a club sandwich and half a quiche. I need you to take back that half a club sandwich and I need you to bring me the whole damn quiche. And I mean, the jaws like hit the table. Like everybody was expecting him to, you know, of course, send back the club sandwich. And, you know, my, my respect for my dad just hit an all time new level that day. It, you know, it, it didn't occur to me that he was teaching me a lesson, but, um, but the, the, there was clearly a lesson in it, which was part of being a real man is not caring so much what other people think and doing what you want to do, despite all of that. Now, he never said those words to me, but just the behavior that day, you know, a very unexpected behavior from him taught me that lesson. And um, and so I have shared that story with my children. I have two sons as well. So I've got a, a, a now they're 21 and 16, but when they were younger, I shared that story with them when they were, you know, they would do things that they, they'd go to school dressed a certain way. And so, and the kids would make fun of them because, Oh, your, your pants are too high. They're supposed to be hanging down lower or the opposite. They're too short or you know, whatever it is. And I would tell them that story and then they'd go back the next day and whatever it was they were doing wrong socially that the other kids were making fun of them for, they would do it more not less, <laughs> you know, they would, they pull their pants up higher. Oh, well, how about this? Oh, oh, that's, oh, really? Well, how about this? And then they've got their pants up around their neck, like Urkel, you know? And anyway, eventually their tormentor would just give up in frustration and walk away because, well, clearly they're not having fun making fun of my kid anymore. So it's, it's no longer fun. So they're going to stop doing it. 
And so that, that kind of story can teach them that lesson in a way that telling them what to do just never would work. Awesome. Well, well, well said and a phenomenal, phenomenal example. So you got me hooked. I can't wait to start, start, uh, start reading it. Um, so I'm going to transition to one more of your, your books that I have not yet read. Your, your, one of your newest books, Four Days with Kenny Tedford, Life Through the Eyes of a Child Trapped in a Partially Blind and Deaf Man's Body. I know you won some interesting awards for this as well. So tell us about this one. How did you come about writing this the book on this story? And and I'd love to hear a little more about it. Yeah. So so Kenny Tedford is unlike anybody I'd ever met before. See, he's he's still alive today. <clears throat> so um, so he, he was born deaf in both ears, partially blind in one eye, um, with a partial paralysis on one side of his body. Um and with a significant learning disability. So he, he cognitively tests at around the, around the third or fourth grade level, even though he's in his sixties now. Um, anyway, so he's kind of a combination of like a Helen Keller and Forrest Gump. <laughs> you know, he's, he's got, but he has both, set, he both sets of challenges, right? He has got physical challenges he has to deal with and he has cognitive challenges he has to deal with. So he's just ended up leading this fascinating life as a result of, of all of that. And, and he's just, he's every bit as charming as Forrest Gump because of the juvenile like nature of his brain, you know? And I met this guy a few years ago and, and like I said, I just never met anybody like that before. And I was fascinated by it. And I, um, uh, I ended up interviewing him. So you'll read about him in parenting with a story. Um, so when I, when I first got the contract for my publisher to write that book, parenting with a story, Kenny Tedford's the first person I called to interview because I just met him a few months earlier and I remembered him and I remember I, I, I had lunch with him at this uh, big conference I was uh, speaking at and I, I bumped into him in the crowd. And anyway, we had lunch and he told me a little bit of his life story. And, and when I sat down to write parenting with the story, I thought he's the first guy I'm going to call. I bet he's got some interesting life lessons I could learn from him. And I'm, I've got a one hour, you know, interview with him and I'm 36 minutes into this interview. And I know this because I recorded the phone call. And at about the 36 minute mark, he, uh, I said to him after he told me like four or five of his fascinating stories, I said, Kenny, have, have you ever like written all your stories down? Like you should write a book about your whole life. And he said, oh yeah, people ask me that all the time because he's a, he's a public speaker as well. He said, they ask me that all the time, but um, I can't write. Like that's just part of my cognitive challenge. I, I can't write at all. Um, and that's when I said something, Don, that probably surprised me as much as it surprised him. I said, well, well, I'll do it, Kenny. I'll write your book. And that, that was it. Then I had to write his book because I just said, told him that I was going to write his book. So we did. And uh, I spent the next few years interviewing him and he came to my house and spent four days with us. And that's hence the title of the book, Four Days with Kenny Tedford. And so he met my family. And in fact, my kids like listen to him telling me all these stories as I'm like writing them down as fast as I can. And so in the book, you get to see not only his life, you know, his whole life, through story, but you get to see the impact that him telling those stories had on my wife and kids and me as he's telling them. So it's a, it, it ended up being a pretty interesting project. Very cool. Well, I'm going to add that one right, right behind parenting with the story. Um, so in addition to writing five books now, um, speaking at events like ours, coaching and helping leadership teams and executives uh, learn how to, how to use storytelling um, to achieve their goals. Uh, you also from what I understand, I have time to run three different podcasts. Uh, that's still the case. You're running three podcasts and, and uh, t tell us a little about the podcast you, you run. And, and, uh, and I'm sure I'm missing 12 other things you're working on. So uh, 
Tell, tell us a little more. No, about that. only one, which I'll tell you because I, I actually have stopped. I'm taking a, a, a hiatus from the podcast. Yeah. So I was, I was running one podcast for each of my first three books. And so I would, I would interview people about leadership on the leaders lead with the story one and parenting and then a sales one for the sell the story book. So I, yeah, I had a podcast on leadership, one on parenting and one on sales. But I have, I've just recently uh, gone on hiatus for that to, to do something else interesting in my life. At least it's interesting to me. It may not be interesting to any of your listeners, but um, I actually just went back to school. So here I am. Uh, I'm 54 years old. You know, I've got a bachelor's in economics and as you know, a master's in business from the Wharton Skill School near there where you are. And, um, but I've decided to go back to college uh, as a freshman uh, studying astrophysics of all things. I've just, you know, my whole life I've been fascinated with uh, science and uh, physics and astronomy in particular. So uh, yeah, last fall I, I entered the University of Cincinnati's program in astrophysics and I'm, I'm in my second semester uh, studying physics and calculus and astronomy and, you know, chemistry with a bunch of 18 year olds and I'm absolutely loving it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to do something with that degree? Oh, absolutely not. No, it's just for fun. <laughs> just, I just always wanted to know this stuff. So, uh, you know, and I'm at the point in my life that I have the flexibility to do what I want. And so that's what I want to do. I'm sure you'll find a way to turn, at least turn it into a book. That, well, that will probably happen, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't imagine myself, uh, you know, becoming a professional, uh, physicist or anything, but I'm going to learn some interesting stuff and have fun along the way. Awesome. Well, as, as I believe, you know, Paul, you know, this, this podcast is called impact and, you know, our goal here is to, uh, help, uh, help people either, either connect them to the areas, uh, that we're focused on making an impact here at DLP, which include the affordable workforce, housing crisis, jobs, what we call the, the legacy crisis, uh, and the happiness crisis, or just inspire them to go out and find a way to make an impact on whatever, you know, they're, they're, they're passionate about and, you know, I, I think one of the one at a or probably the last area of impact that we decided to focus on for our our ministry and our efforts is is on happiness, and it's such a big, overarching certainly uh, issue and in, in crisis. There's all this data that says, you know, we're right now Americans are the most unhappy they've ever been, um, and uh, my belief is that you know people want to be connected or want to be part of something bigger than themselves. Uh, they want to feel connected. And, and I think pre-COVID, that feeling of connection sort of sort of getting replaced with things like social media that actually can often lead to um, uh, a lack of connection, lead to uh, people actually feeling inadequate and and uh, dissatisfied with their life. Um, but, you know, in general, people want to be inspired. They want to be a part of something, be themselves, be connected to something and be, be inspired. And I think I just think of storytelling as as one of the best ways to inspire people to, to, to get connect, get them to get connected. So I'd love with just kind of with that note, however you want to take that love for you to just kind of leave us with here, you know, what, what would be if anybody listening here, if one way for them to go out there and leverage storytelling, um, you know, to make an impact, what would you, what would you recommend? What would be the, the easiest way or the most common way to go and start taking a step forward? Those people who told me don't think they can, they can tell stories and how can they leverage storytellers to help storytelling, to help them make an impact? Yeah. So the, the best way to make an impact with storytelling is to tell people you care about, about a mistake you made and the lesson you learned from it. And it's the kind of story that most people don't want to tell because they're embarrassed, right? I mean, you know, there, there, there are several 
Oh, several. I'm sure you've got a few handful of, uh, you know, big mistakes you've made in your life. Most of us have. And they're the things that we're the most embarrassed about and we don't want to talk about it. But that's absolutely what you should talk about with the people you care about. Now, it's certainly your family, right? But if you work with people that you care about and you, you know, have a department of people who works for you or, uh, and you, you, you want them to grow and develop and become a better leader themselves, a more effective employee, you should want to tell them about your mistakes so that they can learn from them and they won't have to make the same mistakes you did. And the, the, so there's two benefits of telling that particular type of story. One is obviously it, it helps them grow and develop and will help them avoid making your mistake. But the second reason to tell it is because it humanizes you as the boss. People want to work for the kind of boss who is selfless enough that they're willing to share their own failures because they care more about the growth and development of other people than they do about protecting their own ego. So not only will it actually help them, but it, it makes you a better boss. It makes you the kind of boss people want to work for. So it actually helps you as well. It, it humanizes you to them and it makes you a more appealing leader. Um, it just happens to be one that it takes a little bit of, uh, you know, confidence uh, and bravery to tell, but it absolutely is worth it. Awesome. I'm reading right. I don't know if you read this book, uh, uh, Courage, uh, Courage is Calling by, I think it's what the name is by Ryan Holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great, great book. It's the first of a series of four he's doing on this kind of topic, but uh, on, on courage. And, and so often we were that fear of, of that embarrassment or, or vulnerability is what, what uh, holds people back and, and uh, leads to less than a fulfilled uh, life. So I uh, love that. Uh, great, great note. Uh, any any last uh, thoughts or words here, Paul, you want to leave us with here before we conclude this uh, edition of, uh, of Impact? Uh, just, just remember to treat storytelling like you would any other skill that you wanted to learn at work to, and, and learn it. Don't just wing it. I mean, you know, learn it the right way. Awesome. Well, for those of you listening who want to come join us in March, you'll be able to learn from the master himself, Paul, um, uh, at our event. And then any other, if anybody else wants to get in touch with you to hire you to come speak or run workshops or learn more from you. How do they get in touch with you? Yeah. Thanks for asking. The, the best way would be my website, which is leadwithastory.com. So. All right. Lead with a story. We'll have that in the, in uh, the notes and uh, uh, as well here to podcast lead with Paul Smith. Thank you, Paul. Can't wait to see you live in a few weeks. This has been Don Wenner on the impact podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. You can check out our other episodes by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube, or check us out online by going to impactwithdon.com. I encourage and challenge you to make an impact.